Indonesia. What star is that? Crips and Bloods, hear my thuds. Fee, five, four, fum. Hey, fool, where you from? West side. You already know, bruh. 2020 getting started. Uh, 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 2020 getting started and we hear what? 2020 getting started and we hear what? 2020. Oh, thank you. For listening to FarsideTV.com, you are locked into Side Life Radio. I'm your host, Adisa the Bishop, a.k.a. the Black Dragon of the West Side, a.k.a. Zato Ichi, a.k.a. the South Bay Shogun, 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 a.k.a. the Iron Hook Assassin. That's right, boy. That's what they call me. A.k.a. the Black Cortez Killer. Ain't nobody triller than me, homeboys and girls. You know what it is. You know, the other day somebody came to my house and they saw my black Cortez sitting out in front of the front door. And they was like, why you leave your Cortez outside? I'm like, because when they come to my door, I want them to see the Cortez and be like, that's a real G in the house. I don't know who live here, but I know there's a G in there for real because it's black Cortez and I'm a killer. Oh, yo. If this is your first time listening, understand, this may not be the best thing, but it sure enough is the worst thing, the worst thing, the worst thing, it's the worst, you know what I'm talking about? Funky Worm, look it up, Ohio players. Uh, I hope you are having a fantastic day, and I pray that this is the beginning of a blessed year for you and you and you and you. And look in the mirror, that's who I'm talking to. So what I'm saying is this. Um, it's the beginning of a new year. I got a lot of stuff going on. I got so many interviews in the bank for this year. I don't even know what to start with. I got an idea, but I figured I would just jump into making this episode be about you. Making this episode be about you and you getting yours because this is already a crazy ass year. Blood. We just got here, blood. World War Three, bro. For real. I'm not ready. Are you ready for World War III? I feel like I'm not ready for World War III. Before we get into that, I do want to uh, ask you to subscribe on Spotify, Libsyn, iTunes, or Mixcloud. Do it right now, please. Do it right now. We need this. Me and Mike, we growing. You know what I'm saying? The uh, BCP Army, we growing. You know what I'm saying? And I want to thank all of you that have been starting to follow me over at Bishop Chronicles on IG. Um, <laughs> I've been getting a lot of props on my meme game. And yes, I, I make my own memes. I do. I'm pretty good at it. Um Thank you, thank you, thank you. But thank you for following, and I always follow back. If you followed me and I haven't followed back, just DM me and be like, bro, where am I follow back? I got you. Bing, bing. Um, but yeah, you know what I'm saying? I appreciate the subscriptions, and I appreciate the follows. Um, 
every week we get more people on deck. Every day I'm getting a few more messages in the DM thanking me for some of the stuff that I post and just kind of understand how the IG is going to work. Basically, if you look at the feed, the feed is normally just going to be comedic, silly stuff. But if you go into the stories, that's where I'm going to put the science and the philosophy. All right. So every once in a while, there will be some science in the feed. And every once in a while, the, 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 the story will be silly. But in general, the knowledge, wisdom and understanding will be in the stories and the comedy is going to be in the regular feed. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so, yo, welcome to 2020, man. Welcome to 2020. I don't care what you had to do to get here. Homie, you made it. Homie, you made it. Listen, I almost straight died this year. Again, you know what I'm saying? I almost, I almost died. Well, last year, I almost died in 2018 from one kind of infection. Then I came into 2019 and got another one, bruh, in August. Still beat it two years back to back. Ooh, ooh, bobbing and weaving. Ooh, ooh, bobbing and weaving. Um, you know what I'm saying? I'm hard to kill, homie. I'm hard to kill. Um, and so I really just want to, hey, I'm just thankful to be able to record a show. I'm just keeping, hey, I'm here, blood. You can't see me, but my west side is up and high, bruh. Waged up. It's waged up, okay? I'm happy to be here, and I'm thankful that you are here to listen. When you come into a new year, right, you know, most people are thinking about a couple things. They're thinking about their jobs. They're thinking about their health, and they're thinking about love, right? They're thinking about their jobs, they're thinking about health, and they're thinking about love. So on the job tip, I love what I do. I love education. I'm staying in the grind, right? And all I'm really kind of doing is stepping in. I'm going to like learn a new language, man. I'm going to, you know, for myself, man, I think that learning a language is important. I think, you know, this is a universal planet and we need to be kind of connected to our human family uh, better. And so I think I'm going to choose French. I'm going to figure it out this weekend. Um, I think that French is where it's at for me. Um, for my health, I started working out a few weeks ago. I told y'all, man, you know what I'm saying? Um, if you haven't started working out, don't trip. I got some info for you on that. You know what I'm saying? And love, right? Like fools is hella lonely in the 2020, right? 2020 is about vision. Isn't that a deep, a deep number? I'm not one of these weird people that be going all overdoing the numerology. You know what I'm saying? I don't fully negate it or embrace it. Sometimes I think it has meaning. Sometimes I'm, I'm not sure, but 2020, whether it has meaning or not to you, you know, this is a good time to get clear vision for yourself, who you are, what are you doing, where are you headed, where's your future, right? And so these are some of the things that we're going to talk about in this episode, because this is the episode about you and for you from me. But you know, I got to get started with the first heartbeat props of 2020, if it heartbeat props of 2028. So for the first heartbeat props of 2020, if you're new to the show, every show I give three shout outs to people who have made my days better and I'm very specific about it. And I encourage you to start the year by giving thanks, being grateful, you know what I'm saying, uh, to the people who make your day and your life better. So I want you to choose three people that you will call and speak to for five minutes, five minutes, and just be specific about what they've done for you that's uh, made your life easier, you know what I'm saying? 
So the first one I got is Dr. Shane Albors. You can hit him up at Dr. Shane, S-H-A-N-E-D-C, Dr. Shane D.C. And, um, you know, I've been knowing him for a while. He's he's the homie of my homie, Denny Prokopos, you know, uh, my main no-gi instructor in San Francisco uh, in jiu-jitsu. And me and Shane have uh, been kicking it the last few weeks, man. And I just got to say, Shane is super uh, inspiring. He is a positive dude. And um, sometimes it's weird, like, when you meet somebody and, like, even though you don't really know each other, you just click hella hard and vibe out. Like, that's me and him, bro. Just vibing. You know what I'm saying? And uh, I appreciate you, man. Shane, you're a G, man. Uh, happy New Year and many blessings to you. And, uh, you know, uh, may your practice and your and your life thrive with vitality, sir. You know what I'm saying? From there, I'm going I'm to a, I'm a shout out Jim Wilson at Physique Magnifique on IG. Physique Magnifique. Yeah. Just like it sounds, homie. Spelled like that. Anyway, uh, Jim Wilson and uh, Futaba are, uh, are 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 my friends from way back. I've been knowing Jim since I was about sixteen years old. Um, back when he used to rap, you know what I'm saying? Psst, boy, double rock rappers, bruh. You know what I'm saying? San Francisco, bruh. You talking about real OGs? Twelve Gauge, also known as AK Black. You know what I mean? Uh, Mr. USA. You know what I'm saying? My man was Mr. USA, middleweight. Um, anyway, he runs Physique Magnifique, which is in South San Francisco. And uh, these last few weeks over the holidays, he's been sending me positive DM messages, quotes, images. And I just want to say, man, I really appreciate you, bro, for that. It's been good. And then the third, the third heartbeat prop I'm giving to is somebody I just came across bumping around on IG. At plant spirit underscore healing me. Plant spirit underscore healing me. So this lady posts very cool things to eat in very uh, photogenic ways. All right. So if you're in the jujitsu world, you already know about acai bowls, right? Acai. And so um, acai bowls are. Uh, Basically, it's a superfood. It's a berry that comes out of Brazil. And uh, man, it's hugely good for you. And if you go to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu tournaments, you see it all the time. Over the last 10 years, I've seen acai really blow up in terms of demand. And so she makes acai bowls, but then she makes other bowls like that have like quinoa and other vegetables in it. Um, it's all plant-based. It's all very healthy. And um, she's very specific in explaining what, not just what is in the bowl, but what is good for you in it. So some of these things are more kind of like dessert or breakfast bowls. Some of these things are more savory kind of dinner bowls, but they're all really good for you. And I appreciate you for posting that stuff because I learned a lot going to that site. So please follow her at plant spirit underscore healing me. And why do we give the heartbeat props? Because what do we just say? Almost died in, in 2019, almost died in 2018, and I, and, 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 and I care about the people around me, so I try to make sure that I give people their props while they are living, while they still got a heartbeat. You know what I'm saying? West Coast word of the week, going back to the 80s, because somebody just said it the other day. They were talking about some food, and somebody said it was screaming. I was like, that's old school. That's old school. Now, you know what? I ain't going to lie. Screaming might have been something they said 
in the Bronx. But I don't know. All I know is in the West, if something was hella good, it was screaming. Hey, man, I heard you was going to, where you going? Oh, man, we going over to 25th and Mission, you know what I'm saying? Get that, the, the taqueria, the white spot with the black gate. Yeah, man, them burritos is screaming, man. I know. Oh, about to go over there right now. So, just to be old school and West Coast, next time somebody talking about some food, or if you make some food that's really good, say it's screaming. Remember, <laughs> Remember, rep the West and say it with your chest. The chess and life strategy of the day is touch and move. Reflect on this. In chess, when you're playing a real game, you play a casual game like we were playing, da-da-da. Oh, I'm going to move my knight. I grab my knight. Ah, let go. Okay, no, okay. I'm going to move my queen. No, bro. That's not how real competition goes. In real chess, when you're playing with your people, you play touch and move, which means if I touch the knight, I have to move the knight. And the only way I cannot move the knight after having had touched it is if it's illegal to move it. Like if the knight is in front of my king, no, that wouldn't even work. Uh, yeah, I, w- I couldn't move the knight if the knight was in front of my king because I put myself in check, right? If there's a bishop lined up with my knight, I go to move my knight. I can't, I, I can't move it because I can't put myself in check, right? But if I really look at the board, before I move any piece, I'll be aware of that. Touch and move. This is a concept about thinking before you act. When we go into 2020, right, we got to be thinking before we act because these are crazy times. We just talked about the war. I just look, bro. They kicking American troops out of Iran right now. And who knows by the time this thing even runs where we going to be. So you got to think before you move and not get caught up in emotion. Let's listen and learn together. Touch and move. In competitive chess, there's a simple rule called touch and move. It is meant for both players to think clearly before they choose the move they want to make. It may seem foolish, but I have found it to be an important tool for teaching children to slow down and truly consider their options. In life, everything is expected to be done with razor-sharp, instantaneous clarity that, quite frankly, is unreal for most kids, let alone adults. I was given an amazing book by a great family friend, Dr. Peter Goldman, called Soul Sword, by an African-American Aiki Jiu-Jitsu master and Zen priest named Vernon Kitabu Turner. A quick note, by Soul Sword is popping. He speaks a lot about the importance of discovering and using your quote-unquote first mind as much as possible. This is the mind that trusts, that sees clearly, and understands the full value of that which it seeks. This is often what we see when we watch an elite chess player doing blitz chess or when two martial artists step to meet one another with zero reservation. They can be swinging fists and kicking or throwing and grappling. The movements almost look like a dance. When Mike and I shot this video called The Opera House Massacre with Alan Gumby Marcus and Henry Akins, there were times when we asked them to do specific moves and other times when we let them freely flow through the positions on the mat. Mike called out and he said, hey, a lot of what they're doing looks choreographed like a dance. I said, that's the result of two masters at work. Those guys were doing what they did as they perceived things coming at them. Their intuition gave them a response that they understood and acted upon. Mike asked, they really didn't know what the other guy was going to do? No, sir, was my response. 
This state of mind, the first mind that Vernon Kitabu Turner speaks of, is in my understanding the result of repetition. The instinct has to be discovered and cultivated. This is why touch and move is so essential for children. They need to know, slow down, look at all of the options on the board, weigh all the risks, reflect on what is most important in the moment. Is defense more important than attack? Is positional dominance more important than losing a piece? Is the next move checkmate? Am I willing to give up this queen to win? When you give young people the time to think well, they usually do far better than you might think. This summer, there was a husky young Chinese boy who came to practice at our chess camp. He was pretty skilled for a kid his age, and he was actually dangerous if you played chess with him lightly. But he moved so impulsively, he often decimated positional advantages just to snatch a pawn. I forced him to do touch and move. At first, he got upset because he would grab a rook before assessing the safety of his queen. Other times, he might push a pawn forward just to do it, not seeing the gaping hole he just made for my bishop to attack the king. He hated the touch-and-move rule until the third day. On the third day, he was at peace with himself. The sting of lost pieces and positions from past games melted away. He saw the board as a whole event not isolated moments on G4 or A6 positions. By playing touch and move, he developed the baseline skills for mastery. You can do it too. Just slow down, observe all the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats in front of you, and move accordingly. If you didn't know, that's from my book, Bobby Bruce and the Bronx, The Secrets of Hip Hop Chess. That is on Amazon right now. And you can buy the book or you can buy the Kindle. You know what I'm saying? Uh... It's worth looking into for you or someone you love. Do it now. Hey. And now it is time for the first haiku of 2020. Normally, I do jujitsu haikus. Lately, you know, I've been doing some that deal with chess and some that deal with stoic philosophy. This one is one of those. It deals with stoic philosophy. If you really want to make 2020 better, I hope that you go onto YouTube and look up Stoic, S-T-O-I-C, Motivation. My favorite page is one by this guy called The Realized Man. Uh, He's an Australian dude, and he breaks down a lot of stuff um, that deals with Stoic philosophy, how to overcome anger, how to argue with someone in a more peaceful manner so you're not overwhelmed how to think better. And, you know, I go on this jog up this hill and it's a hill uh, behind my childhood home that um, I used to walk it all the time and I didn't think I could jog it. Well, recently I have been jogging it. And the main thing that I walked away with was this idea, right? Like my whole life, I didn't think that I could jog it. And so one day I went and I was like, man, just try to run it. And I ran it in 20 minutes. I wasn't broken physically. I wasn't broken. Uh, My legs didn't hurt. My back wasn't thrown out. My lungs didn't feel like they were going to explode. It wasn't, you know, super easy, but I did it. My point is that what I realized was that for years, essentially my whole life, I believed I couldn't do something that was way easier than it looked. And I had to start facing myself and say, what else in this world are you not doing because you think you can't? And I want you to think about that. 
I want you to think about something you've always wanted to do, whether it's jog a hill, go back to school, start a specific kind of diet, uh, reconnect with a family member, right? Reconnect with an old friend that you fell out with. It might be easier than you think. Recovering your health might be easier than you think, okay? Getting back into your spiritual self might be easier than you think. And so I wrote this haiku. I now call this mountain Mount Aurelius after Marcus Aurelius because there's an idea in Stoic philosophy called the view from above. The view from above is the first Stoic idea I think that I really understood. Um, Basically, you sit where you are, pull back like at a house high level, right? Like a two-story house. Look at yourself. Then pull back like skyscraper. Look at yourself. Look at, look at the cars. Look at the people. Now pull back to an airplane level. Now pull back to a rocket ship level. Now pull back like outside of the Earth's orbit and really just look at the Earth spinning slowly on its axis. Look at all the continents. Look at the ocean. Okay. Look at your problems in the world in the midst of all this magnificent vastness and beauty. Hopefully, when you take the view from above, it can help you de-escalate. It can help you relax. It can help you understand that, yeah, your problems are real, but there's more going on in the world, and a lot of it is beautiful. You may not be seeing it. You're not the only one who has to endure this moment this way. And there are other people enduring much more tough things. But that doesn't diminish your pain. And that doesn't diminish your duty or your reality. The point is, among all this beauty in this earth on its axis, people had worse situations with you and they, than, than you have right now. And they won with it. They had the exact same one and they won with it. And if they can figure it out with research and effort, you can figure it out. I believe in you. But you got to look in the mirror and you got to love that person in the mirror and you got to believe in that person. And that's the hardest part, man. That is the hardest part. So here's this haiku. Mike. I need some 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 solid clifftop winds and ocean seas. Here we go. Remember, a haiku is a Japanese poem of five syllables in the first line, seven syllables in the second, and five in the end. It's five, seven, five. It doesn't always have to rhyme. This one does not. Most of mine do, if you've heard other shows. Here we go. The view from above, Mount Aurelius Towers. Ocean, air, and earth. (laughs) Hard. One more time. The view from above, Mount Aurelius Towers. Ocean, air, and earth. Yo. Quick shout out to everybody who've been hitting me on at 
Bishop Chronicles on IG and sending me haikus. If you notice, I repost them. If you if you send me a a if you post a haiku, I will repost it in my stories because I love haikus. I don't even care what the topic is. You know what I'm saying? It could be some philosophic stuff. It could be this. It could be that. I'm all good. Now, I'm going to get to this quick, quick discussion about the war because I'm not going to get too hard into this war thing. You're going to do that work. I spent a lot of time reading about military strategy and I don't pretend to be an expert. But I know some things I'm going to share them with you just to kind of help you de-escalate. And I know, look, you know, and I know that I am serious about nonviolence. And in this moment, uh, I feel that way still. So I'm just going to touch on some things and then we're going to get on to this, to this interview with my man architect. Okay. Now, I don't know what this guy's doing. I'm talking about Trump. And remember my podcast, Bishop Chronicles, this stuff is about hip hop, man. This stuff is about like music and art and the beauty of connectivity through the arts and logic and stuff like that. But this moment is unusual. People keep using that word World War III. I don't like that word. I don't think it's real, but I do think it's possible. Okay. Um, it's an ugly time. Right, And you have people that are arguing for war and you have people that are arguing against it. What I want, want you to do is slow down and understand if you are on the side of nonviolence, like I am, you have to start from a place of discussing um, war from in a different way. Meaning like when people who are pro-war step up, they usually have their, you know, their talking points from Fox News or from Breitbart or wherever they read, which is fine, right? But people who understand war have a very specific kind of language. And if you're about nonviolence, you need to acquaint yourself with that language. Meaning that you have to speak to warriors in their language to discuss peace in a way that they understand. Otherwise, they just think you're a peacenik walking around trying to put flowers in the end of their gun barrel. And that's not always going to work. Okay? I want you to look up the Weinberger Doctrine. Written by Casper Weinberger. After the horror that was Vietnam, a lot of young Americans died. Right? And they we're like, yo, man, like we can't afford to be running into different countries trying to set up wars for no reason or, or things that don't really benefit America. And so they created the Weinberger Doctrine, Casper Weinberger. And it's basically a checklist of how America figures out whether it should go to war. Is this situation at a threat level and a, and a, and a security level that makes us need to fight? You'll be interested to know that if you look up the Weinberger Doctrine and you look at the past wars since Vietnam, I think only one, I could be wrong, but I think only one fits the Weinberger Doctrine um, to a T. That's justifiable. I think it was like the first desert storm or something like that. And that may have been only because I think Saddam had like sent a scud out somewhere or whatever. I don't remember. All I know is look up the Weinberger Doctrine for real. One of the problems with the Weinberger Doctrine, though, is in that kind of checklist, certain things kind of conflict with each other. Okay? But it's a great document. And it's a great intent on keeping America 
away from the war machine that it has become despite the Weinberger Doctrine. So shout out to Casper Weinberger for that idea. However, Powell, Colin Powell, comes up with the Powell Doctrine, which was supposed to be a, a, a refined version of the Weinberger Doctrine. I myself, and people hate on me because I say this a lot, I find Colin Powell as, as amazing as he's achieved in the military. I find him to be quite boring. It's hard to listen to this guy. He's not inspiring. I mean, I can, you know, give him props and salute him for what he's done for himself in in the military, but, and he's smart. There's no way he could do what he's doing without being smart, right? But then on a personal level, when he sold the WMD stuff to the UN so they could justify that last uh, run into Iraq, it it was trash, man. It was trash. I lost a lot of respect for him for that. But anyway, he made the Powell Doctrine. Google that. Look it up. Learn the language of war so that you can speak to people that want war in their language. And a lot of people who say they're pro-war, they don't even know the language. They're just biting into the rabid, false patriotism that has, you know, uh, 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 arisen over the last, you know, few years with the MAGA hats and everything else. I'll tell you without being too... Uh, quarterback armchairish on the war thing. Um, I think you should read The Art of War. I think you should read The Art of Peace. Look those up. Get them on Amazon. Get them used. Get them cheap. Get them fast. But get them and start reading them. When you first read them, it's going to feel a little flowery. It's going to feel a little like, I don't even know what this is. All right? But you need it. Okay? You also need The Book of Forgiving by Archbishop Desmond Tutu. The Book of Forgiving is an important book because a lot of times when you look at war, when you look at conflict, people have unresolved issues and they don't know how to let go. They don't know what it means to forgive. They think that forgiving is weak. And this book by Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who if you don't know, is probably one of the most important black leaders of South Africa outside of Nelson Mandela. Okay? The Book of Forgiving. You need that book, right? And, you know, I read that book and I thought that I was going to like like it, but man, that book is really deep. It deals with forgiveness that deals with your family. It deals with forgiveness that happens when violence happens to people that you love. It deals with forgiveness of generational trauma. Generational trauma. You need to get this book, Okay, it really changed my life. And it's one of the few books that I really believe everybody should have if they don't have it. I also suggest that you guys start looking into Taoist philosophy, T-A-O. I first started reading Taoism actually because of uh, J. Rue the Damager. He used to call himself the poisonous Taoist, the poisonous Taoist. And it's Taoist, right? But this is what happens when you're dealing with black street scholars, man. I used to say Socrates for a while before Socrates. Yikes. You know what I'm saying? But Taoism is a beautiful philosophy out of China. And um, it's much deeper than the Tao Te Ching, but you should start there. And know that translations matter. Know that translations matter. Um... I wish I could tell you who translated the one that I read first because there's a lot of garbage translations out there, all right? And then the final book I'm going to tell you to read 
are the teachings of Tahotep. Tahotep, P-T-A-H, H-O-T-E-P. The teachings of Tahotep are the oldest complete book on earth. It comes out of Egypt, known then as Kemet. K-E-M-E-T, Kemet, the land of the blacks. If you've ever wondered who really populated Egypt, the blacks did. They got conquered by Romans, Persians, and Greeks in different dynasties in the later years. But look where it is. It's in Africa. Don't ask. Don't ask. Nobody asks if Aztec uh, ruins were, were, were made by Latinos who ended up being the 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 ancestors of, of Mexico. What? Of course. You don't ask. Look where it's at. Anyway, the teachings of Patahotep are an incredible look at a guy who was born to be a pharaoh, was into spirituality, gave the throne to his brother, and his brother, who became the pharaoh, had a son, and he was like, yo, like, my son is about to be the next pharaoh. Can you write something for him on leadership? This book is beautiful. It's about real leadership. It gives you a glimpse into why the Egyptians were so fantastic, okay? But only get the copy that comes from Blackwood Press. It's a short book. I don't even think it's 20 pages. But only get the Blackwood Press version. You have to acquaint yourself with leadership and war. You have to understand, not so that you can be a warrior, but you have to start thinking like warriors and people in power think so that you can navigate a good life for yourself. I want you to have a good life. I want 2020 to be a beautiful year, and I want nonviolence and wisdom to win the day. I don't want war to win the day. I want peace on this planet. Okay, I don't like what I'm seeing. You shouldn't be at peace with what you're seeing. So before I go any further, I'm going to just stop all the war stuff and say, let us all pray for peace and try to embody peace within ourselves, within our households, within our hearts, at the job, on the way home. You know, this dude was tripping the other day. I was having a bad day a few weeks ago. I was wet. I was late for work. I was at the BART station and this dude's looking at me crazy. And and I was like, yo, this dude is really like trying to start something with me over here at West Oakland BART, man. And the thing he didn't know is I was having a horrible day. It was a bad day for him to try to fight me if that's what he was really trying to look for. That's what he was looking like he was looking for. So I had to give him the death stare. You know when you're just like dead inside so no one can hurt you? And I'm like scoping. I'm like, okay, I see there's a little pillar over there. There's a trash can right there. Okay, well, well, I'm going to just run it. If he steps to me, this is what's going to happen. And then eventually he looks at me and he sees this dude's dead inside. Let me just bounce. My point is, my point is, my point is that I hated that I had to look at him like I could be a full-blown axe murderer just to get peace and get on my train. I hated that. And I also hated that I allowed myself to be so mad by the day that I had, right? The, 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 the wetness, the coldness, the lateness to work, all of that. Man, look, we've got to let peace win the day. We've got to embody peace. I'm talking to me, okay? I'm telling you that I was failing in that moment and that we all fail, but we can't stop trying to embody the philosophy of nonviolence, that we can't stop trying to embody peace, okay? We need this right now. The world needs this. We need a counter 
to this energy that's out in the earth right now, which is which is unstable and and quite violent, to be honest. And so going to pivot into the health thing. So one, February 9th, I don't know if you remember uh, a few episodes back, we had Vaughn Strickland on. Vaughn Strickland is um, an amazing woman. She's a brown belt in jiu-jitsu. She teaches at Physique Magnifique. And on February 9th, she's doing a women's only jiu-jitsu workshop, and it's free. A women's only jiu-jitsu workshop, and it's free. If you are a woman, you need to learn how to defend yourself. You cannot trust these men. If we've learned anything this year, in the last few years, especially because of these high-profile dudes getting busted, I'm talking about Russell Simmons. I'm talking about Dame Dash. I'm talking about uh, Snow Dog. What's my dude from radio? Played OJ. You know what I'm saying? He was in Boys in the Hood, bruh. You know what I'm saying? Him, bruh. R. Kelly, bruh. Like, uh, uh, Bombada. You know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, If it's anything, we've learned that sometimes people that we think are virtuous are not virtuous. And I believe it is important um, as a parent that you put your child in judo or Brazilian jiu-jitsu or kyokushin or boxing or wrestling. Immediately go do it. Find the cheapest thing because jiu-jitsu can be expensive. If jiu-jitsu is too expensive, then go to judo. If judo, get to wrestling. Wrestling, boxing, I don't care. We need to get our kids in a mindset of keeping themselves safe. Okay? It's a big deal. As much as I love jujitsu, I never made my kids be hardcore jujitsu people, but I made them just know enough so that if something happened, I could know that they were going to be half okay, right? That they had a plan, right? Get a plan for yourself. Maybe start taking classes with your kid. And you might say, well, I'm middle age. I don't really feel like, listen, I know you probably don't feel like learning boxing after a long day at work. I know you probably don't feel like getting thrown and having people throw you or getting punched in the body, okay? But you're going to feel like that's better than getting for real attacked and not knowing what to do. Get yourself started and get your kids in something. Von Strickland's doing something on February 9th. If you can't go, take your daughter. Take your mother. Take someone. Take a niece, all right? Go see Von Strickland on February 9th. I want to talk to you about your health. People have been asking me about my diet. You know what I'm saying? I've been uh, working out pretty steady, doing a lot of good stuff, and I want to just share some things with you. I've been eating a lot less meat. I barely eat meat. It's almost all the way out of my diet, but it's not. But I'm going to give you some pointers on how to eat going forward in 2020 if you really want to be healthy. I hope you do. This is my philosophy, okay? As you know, a few episodes back, I talked about cloud scroll tea. I'm going to share with you the general philosophy of the cloud scroll diet, a way of lightening yourself and eating in a way that can make you more mobile, right? More light in your step and not feel so burdened. If you're someone that eats meat in the cloud scroll diet, you double the weight of any meat that you eat with vegetables. So if you have an eight ounce steak, which is fine if you want, you have 16 ounces of vegetables with that. Now, some of that can be salad and some of that can be sauteed veggies, right? That's warm. This isn't about just like eating like a, like a cow walking around grazing, right? Okay. When we were young, 
the centerpiece of the meal used to be meat and the vegetables were on the side. You're going to flip that. You're going to invert that. You're going to turn it upside down. So whether you have chicken, pork, which you shouldn't be having, but chicken, pork, or beef, okay, or fish even, right? You're eating fish. Make sure that you have double the amount of vegetables in proportion to your meat. That's number one. All right. The other thing that I want to tell you is that for when you get up in the morning, I find that the biggest myth about American breakfast is that we have it. We should not have breakfast. You shouldn't eat until noon. You should be intermittent fasting. You should have your first meal at lunch and stop eating at 8 p.m. That changed my life. Look into it, intermittent fasting. It's a huge deal. And then in your first and your last meal, you want to add your prebiotics and probiotics. That means have yogurt and an apple. An apple is a prebiotic. Yogurt is a probiotic. The probiotics feed on the prebiotics to grow. You need that. Maybe put a little apple cider vinegar in your lemonade or like, I mean, just like a teaspoon. I'm not talking about drinking it. Like a teaspoon, half a teaspoon. Help build your gut biome. The bacteria in your gut helps you digest stuff better, okay? Um, You should be drinking water, tea, and coffee from the time you get up until noon with no sugar, okay? Sometimes I put a little cream in. Some people say, oh, if you put cream in, it's not intermittent fasting. I don't care. It's not really affecting me, all right? Water, tea, and coffee until noon. All right. When you feel hungry, drink. You'll find a lot of times you, the, you we've built bad habits because food's everywhere and it's being marketed to us over and over and over again. Not a problem. Not a problem. Listen to what I'm saying. You can lose a lot of weight following this method. You can get fit. It, you don't the, the 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 weight doesn't melt off immediately. But if you can do 15 to 20 minutes of cardio a day. At a high medium pace, I'm not talking about sprinting, just high medium, right? Enough to make you breathe a little hard. 15 to 20 minutes, man. Ideally, 30. But maybe you do 15 minutes before work, maybe you do 15 minutes after, okay? Maybe for work, you take a walk around the block and then go get your lunch. You will lose weight. You will lose weight, all right? Um, I got more to tell you about health. We're going to get into that stuff in the in the in the in the upcoming issues but what I want to do right now is turn you over to this interview I did with Architect. If you know West Coast hip hop, you know that the Architect is one of the most important producers on the West Coast because he is like the godfather of West Coast boom bap. Come on man. If you know Stone's Throw, if you know Peanut Butter Wolf, if you know that label, you know his work. This dude has made music for so long and in so many different ways that even Nas and Kanye have been influenced by his work, his music, his sound, his approach. And I have an interview with the architect. This show is about hip hop. This show is about art. This show is about intelligence. And you are about to witness that in the architect, in this talk about Bay Area hip hop. We taking it way back. It's a beautiful thing. You know what I'm saying? Like if you're talking about Dilla, if you're talking about uh, Pete Rock, boy, you better be talking about the architect. If you're talking about lo-fi hip hop and that vibe, that jazz, that uh, right? 
you're going to learn a lot in this conversation. All right. Happy New Year. Thank you for listening. I got so much more to tell you in the upcoming episodes. And I got so many dope uh, interviews coming at you. But this is one that's super special to me. Welcome to 2020. Welcome to the Bishop Chronicles. This is FarsideTV.com. Enjoy this. Have a blessed 2020. Follow me at Bishop Chronicles. And let's keep it moving positively and peacefully. Here we go. Peace to the planet Earth. You know what it is. Adisa Banjoko, you know what I'm saying? Bishop Chronicles. You know, I told you that 2020 was going to be a year where I really brought you a higher level of that realness uh, when it comes to hip hop. And, you know, I'll be really frank with you. Y'all know this is West Coast stuff. I don't really be on East Coast nuts, even though I, I you know, I respect everything that happened out there. Um, but there's a lot of other stories that are not told and there's a lot of history that is just simply not, um, shared. And there's a lot of history that's just not known. I'm lucky not only in the generation that I grew up in hip hop, but I'm lucky about my personal path. You know, um, my first interview was with Eazy E when I was still in high school before NWA. I met Tupac like two years before he really stepped out into the world. And I've been blessed to be around some of the absolute best to ever do it, whether it's DJ Qbert or Crazy Legs or whoever, you know what I'm saying? I've been around the best of the best. And that is the case today. I have the architect with me. Architect is like a crucial pioneer for West Coast hip hop. Um, Artists that, that you know and love, they try to jack his beats. <laughs> they, 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 they recognize his greatness from generations past to generations right now. So please welcome Architect to the Bishop Chronicles, man. Peace, peace, peace. What's up, man? Chilling, chilling, man. Peace to the people, y'all. Um, thank you for being on the show. Obviously, um, this is a big deal for me. I've known you for a really long time, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm. Uh, I'm happy to have you on today. It's really interesting because there was just recently a thing on OK Player about Jay Dilla and and him being this like precursor producer to Lo-Fi. And right. it was funny because, <clears throat> and of course, like not even questioning the awesomeness of Jay Dilla, but you were the first person that popped up in my mind when I'm reading that article. Right. You, you know what I'm saying? Um, for a lot of reasons. Before we get into those reasons, though, let's talk about your history as um, as a DJ and a, and, a, and a producer. When did you first start getting involved with hip hop? Well, as a as a as a as a as a practitioner, right, right, right. Well, Not like when you first heard it, but no, when, no, you know I, feel what I'm you, I feel you. Well, you know, my pops is a DJ, so you know, I had access to turntables hella early, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, so I'll be going through the records or whatever the case, trying to figure out how they were making the beats. So the first thing I did was I had a four track. Okay. And I would like, you know, try to... Having a four track in what year? Ooh, that might have been like 85, 86. If you had a four track in 85, 86, you were from outer space, essentially. I mean, that yeah. was top tier stuff, like for real. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that was the way I thought they made the beats. Right. Because, you know, I'm from Opita, so I don't have like, you know... 
Molly Mall around the corner. Right. Milpitas, California yeah. is is kind of tucked between like what, Fremont and like San Jose? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, we didn't really have those type of mentors. Right. Right you now, Milpitas I mean? is a is a hotbed for the tech sector. Yeah, exactly. If you drive if you drive down uh eight eighty, you yeah. know what I'm saying, you're gonna see all the top tech companies along that that corridor Silicon around Valley. Milpitas. Yeah, straight up. You know what I mean? You know, so you know, being in Silicon Valley or whatever the case, like I said, we didn't have a bunch of people to show us how to work the drum machines mm-hmm. and to show us exactly how to make the hip hop. So basically at like what, thirteen, fourteen. I had to figure that shit out myself. Mm-hmm. So I bought the four track, you know, pops right. me up with the four track, right. scratching, trying to put the shit together with the four track. Then I realized that you needed some type of drum machine thing. Mm-hmm. So at the time I was DJing parties, like, you know, high school, right. house parties all around the- How was that real area. quick? So you're DJing house parties in what year? What year is this? Like? Uh, this is probably like now at this point, it's like 87, mm-hmm. 88. So what what are you seeing yeah, at a house man. party? Let let's visualize it up for somebody <laughs> at a, that's never been to a house party on the West Coast in them days. I mean, man, in the Bay, man, like you know, we set the little speakers up, big yep. ass speakers. You know what I'm saying? Right. Set the turntables up, probably like in the kitchen or something like yeah. that. Maybe the, the Maybe the garage. Sometimes they would make everybody yeah, be in the garage. garage. I remember yeah. that. Yeah, like you pay I, at yeah. the door, you'd pay yeah. at the door, and you'd go down the stairs to the garage. Or it'd always be some girl's birthday party that goes away. Yes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, you know, like I said, we'd have the joint set up. Uh, Bartles and James. Yeah, Bartles and James. Cisco, when it was in a big 40 ounce. Yeah. And it yeah. tasted like the koala soda. Yes. Remember that? I remember they took that. that shit off the market. Wow. Damn near dying from They that. were like, that was like the original Four Locos. <laughs> so, you know. Bartles and James, wine coolers. But if you had a wine cooler at yeah, a hip hop house party in those yeah, days, poppin'. you were a G. 40 ounces. TI sweatsuits. Mine was burgundy Man. with white stripes. You know, Hennessy. You yes. know what I mean? Jerry Curls. Ooh, Jerry Curls. You, know you I mean? speaking truth. Nike Cortez, Dickie Suits. Wow. But the crazy thing, you know, Levi's. Mm-hmm. 501s, but 501s, Air Force Ones, bomber coats. With you the know fur, I mean? with the with fur, fur hood, son. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, gazelles even. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? So, you know what I mean? It, it was a crazy vibe. So, I, you know, and I, by doing that, I kind of would like, in a way, get to... Um, Expose people to a lot of different music. Like that's when hip hop wasn't a coastal. It was just hip hop. Hip hop, yeah. You know, and, and it. that's a really good point, man. Like, you know, <clears throat> I used to go get my records at Tower Records in San Mateo. Mm. And and it used to be down the street from Hillsdale. Right now it's like a tech store. It's like a we'll fix your computer store. Wow. Um, but but back in the day it was Tower Records. And when you when I first went to Tower Records, the section for hip hop was five records wide. Mm-hmm. There was five rows of records. That's it. Mm. It was like something from Def Jam, something from like Sleeping Bag, and then two labels you never heard of. And right. one of them might be local. The and that's it. Records or something. Right. You know what I mean? That was it. Mm-hmm. You know? So continue yeah. though. Continue. You know, speaking of that, so you know, Star Records was our spot. Mm. So Fiction. I met the Egyptian lover at Star Records and got the first and only photo. I had the only photo of Egyptian lover that I knew for like 15 years. Wow. He was DJing in the back of Star Records one day, and I begged my dad. I was like, please, please take me to Star Records, please. I will do anything, bro. I will clean and sweep any aspect of this house (laughs) to get to go, right? And so he took me. 
I go to the back of Star Records. He's DJing. He's got Jerry. And I saw Uncle Jam. I was the only mm. dude who knew what Uncle Jam looked like. Wow. Bro, this fool had on a brown. No, he had a gray members only jacket. No Jerry Curl. Had a fade with like a part. And he was hecka old. He looked like wow. your uncle's friend or something. Wow. Uncle Jam, blood. We're talking Uncle about Jam. Dial a Freak, bro. Right, Go look up Dial a Freak. Uh, crazy, legendary West Coast Jam. Wow. And then the Egyptian Lover came on. This fool had the had a black members only. He had a white scarf that had piano keys on it. So you know he was looking extra fresh, yeah, fresh. bro. You know what fresh. I'm saying? And he had like he had just got his Jerry Curl done like yesterday. You know, wow. like the day after Jerry Curl. Yeah. So it's yeah, hanging so it's a little bit more. Wet. It's not extra tight. But it's wet. Yes, bro. <laughs> greasy wet. Bro, and I was trying to take pictures of him and hella kids. Were like, there were too many people there and they were all in my way and I'm looking like a straight young nerd. I was like 12, 13. And um, he kind of waved. He told one of the security guards, like, let him through. And then they turned a, uh, uh, they turned a garbage can upside down so I could stand on it. And I took pictures. Oh, wow. That's but funny. I'll never forget that. Shout out to Egyptian lover, bro. Yeah, yeah, no, you looked lover. out, bro. You probably don't even remember me. I sent him a, I, I, I sent him a picture of it online, and then he, he reposted it and didn't tag me. It was great. Yeah. Well, you know, West Coast house parties always ended with fights and shoots. Ooh. Fights and shooting. Come on, man. You know what I mean? But I was right. There was there always someone there. who came to the house that didn't really belong there. Like every time, and then they overdid it, bro. Somebody got invited. We really can't come guy. in. No, y'all can't come in. Y'all. In oh, there, what's up, man? Y'all suck anyway. Yeah. Next thing you man. know. <laughs> you know. But getting back to so after the whole DJing, well, that shit was going on the whole time. But right. anyway, after the four track. Right. Figured out I needed a drum machine. Right. But what really killed it was when I figured out I needed a sampler. Because mm. I got an RA drum machine and that didn't sample. So I never was getting what I was trying to do. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And I had this whole vision in my mind of what I was trying to do. And where did you where did you look for beat machines at that time? Was this Guitar Center? Uh, nah, K&K Music. Where was that? I don't even know uh, that place. That was out on, like, what was that, Santa Clara? But it was like in San Jose, but like... okay. Kind of downtown, but like, yeah, in yeah. a weird little area. Kind of like where the Valley Fair Mall is. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know okay, yeah, yeah. I know that little strip. Yeah, yeah Stevens Creek, Creek Boulevard. Exactly. Hey, what's exactly. up to my San Ho people? And, you know, I went over there and it was like, yo, I wanted the uh, SP-1200. Mm. But they was like, the dude there was stuck on me. He was like, yo, you don't want that. You want this um, EPS. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. EPS had like a 60 seconds of sampling time and the... SP-1200 had... <coughs> SP-1200 had 10 seconds. <laughs> yeah. It cost like three times as much money. So yeah, I finally ended up with a sampler. Yeah, and that shit was... How crazy. did that change your life? Like it changed everything. Because it was like, I was making beats. Like, boom. I was making beats now. You know what I mean? Like, I could sample the records. That is you know crazy, what? Did you feel like the G you were? Did you know? Oh, yeah. Oh no, I heard it. You knew. Yeah, right off the rip. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? So um that basically once I had that shit, that gave me the whole foundation and yeah. understanding how to make beats, which yep, I had a little experience because of the drum machine, four tracks, so I knew what the tracks meant. Right. You know, I knew how to use the sequence. You weren't coming in cold. Yeah. And boy, I was on that. You had just enough of a warm-up. Tore it up. Wow. And Tore what year up. was that? That was 89. 89 was the number? Yep. Another summer? Yeah. And you was down with mm. the funky drummer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My man was down with the funky drummer. Wow. Yo, so like people around the whole like Bay Area, my shit was like a pilgrimage. Right. 
Like there was because you coming, were the dude. You became the dude. Sample. People were coming off from all over. I swear to God, just to come see you do the it. Shit sampled. Wow. Like it was crazy. It was crazy, man. That is nuts, but it was crazy. Do you remember the first record you actually sampled? Do you remember? The first. It's record, fair if you don't. I'm just uh, was. was What's the, it's got the sample. Do, 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 do. It's got a bunch of samples on it. Uh, Bobby, come on, it's a famous record. She got an Afro on the cover. Humphrey. Bobby Humphrey. No kidding. Yeah. But you know what? Prior to that, I gotta say this because this is important. This is an important joint I did. Go. Me and my man Creep Nitty. I had this other sample. Shout that out was, to Creep Nitty. That was inside of a. Uh, it was a Newmark mixer. Mm. That had a sampler in it. I remember that. Record, what hit. was that? What was that mixer called? It was my dad's. Somebody, hey, I bet you right now DJ Cubert is screaming. I know. Like it was were, like, and then boy, I had to hit this uh, Lynn Collins sample, and it was. <laughs> man, I hit that joint, and when I hit that, me and my man's like, oh shit, and. Uh, <laughs> Hit that down to the um, four track because it's still the four track yep. in action at this yep. point. But I didn't put no drums on it. it you was just, just let it ride and just hit it. Kept hitting it, hitting uh, it. Did it for like a minute, my man, or like two minutes. My man did a verse on it, and that was my first sample track. That was the first college. one. Then later, you know, like about months within, then I got yeah. the sampler. Yeah, got the EPS, and yeah. boom, I did the Bobby Humphrey joint. Okay, and random Lynn Collins knowledge. This just came to me like within the last month. Did you know that Lynn Collins, you know Ain't No Sunshine When, when She's Gone? Mm. That's her song, blood. Wow. Ain't No Sunshine When He's Gone. Wow. Killed it. Wow. Got jacked by who's the dude? Bill Withers, and no one ever gave her her props, bud. That's crazy. And then, and then, same week that I figured that out, why, blood? You know, uh, Backstabbers. Who does that song? Yeah, the OJs. She did that shit. Wow. She did Backstabbers as a duet with the one and only James Brown. Wow. Blood. Their version is way doper to me. I played it for my parents. They were like, nah, we like this one better. I was like, no. Lynn Collins and James Brown's fresher. They was like, no. But like, Lynn Collins, Lynn Collins is like the Bootsy Collins of women. Right. You know, just in terms of being sampled yeah, yeah, so much right, and right, like right. just the reverence. You I'm know what I'm saying? saying? You got to be a real soul person to appreciate Lynn Collins. But if you don't believe me, go on Spotify and look it up and you're going to be like, yeah, dang. Sure songs are the, some of those songs are the foundations to, oh. to the game. Oh, think. You know what I mean? Come on, bro. Think Come is on, the foundation bro. to hip hop. Okay. That break, One, that break is like been used all kinds of different ways. From Rob Bass to Janet Jackson, to dog? Janet Jackson. And beyond. And beyond, man, every all kinds of way. I hear stuff all the time. Be like, whoop! I be like, I know exactly where that woo came from. You hear it in the background. Hey, I, <laughs> right. I know where that A's from. You know what I'm the saying? Tambourines. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> bro, hard. So okay, so at some point, you, you know what? I'm gonna just ask you because I I don't know. How did homeless derelicts form? Where at? And how did you end up making a record with them? Like, I don't know that story. Well, Straight so, up. So, like I said, a lot of people were doing a lot of trips to my crib just through word of mouth that I had the sampler. Right. You know what I mean? So, you know, one day I was in the mall, and I actually met Grant's brother 
first, and I was working with his brother and them. And it was like, you know, I can't remember. I met them in the mall. I can't exactly remember how I ran his brother, but I met him in the mall. His and the malls were a big thing for hip hop. Yeah, in the Bay. Then. Hell yeah! Right, East because yeah, Eastridge Mall. Ooh, the girls at Eastridge. Oh my God. Are you kidding me? Let's just have a we're gonna I'm gonna pause the entire tape <laughs> and take size. and take a real patriarchal <laughs> moment and just say the women of San Jose in that time mm. were the finest women in the whole bay. And I'm saying that I went to clubs and house parties in San Francisco. I went to clubs and house parties in Oakland. Nothing was touching the beauty and style of the women of San Jose, blood. Well, I must say, I had a thing for the Frisco girls. They had, they were real jazzy. They were they jazzy. Had a lot of high heels and shit cracking. Yeah, and a lot of things like they were really good with the um, with the style, like you know what I mean, like if, the bright pinks and blacks and the the fluorescent colors, the shiny shit. Like, yeah, you know what I mean. You would see some fly shit in Frisco. I just thought Eastridge but Mall girls Eastridge were the Mall finest, blood. They were tight. So yeah, I ran into. Uh, Grand's brother, yeah, Jerron, and I started making music for them first. Okay, you know what I mean. I, and then Grand was like always around because it was his brother, right? And um, I don't even remember. I mean, we and Grand. I think one day um, I was working with them, and then Grand ended up giving me a ride back to the crib, mm. and I popped the tape in. And he did his thing with spitting. I was like, oh shit, you're hella and dope. Then, yeah, and he thought I was already dope because I was working with right. his brother, and. Um, Man, we just was just like hit it off right then, and we're just like, yo, we gotta make some music, and just was like, boom. So, who were the homeless derelicts as a group? It was the architect, G Love, the architect. Yep. The producer, DJ. That would be you. That would be me. Grand a visitor, or fifty grand at that time. Fifty grand. That's you know I only know him as fifty grand. Yeah, yeah, but you know, later on, he yeah. morphed into Grand a visitor. Yep. And uh, bars and Mister Four Eyes. Mister Four Eyes. <laughs> Yep. And Never then, met Mr. Four Eyes. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, it's funny because he does a lot of stuff with a lot of people in the Bay. He's like, they don't know he's Mr. Four Eyes, but. Yeah. Y'all you know. know. Yeah. But we know. But uh, yeah. And then, uh, and, and you know, it's funny as we started growing it or doing our thing, you know, um, Encore, mm-hmm. you know, he started coming around and kicking it. And Encore was thing. killing the game for a good minute. He yeah. was, he was, he was getting respect. Like, I remember. Like, he's on our first demo tape. I remember people comparing him to. Nas and yeah. Razkaz early. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Early. Definitely. You know? Definitely. That was crazy. Yeah. So Homeless Derelicts released when? What year, maybe? <sighs> okay, so our first record or tape that we put out was probably like in 92, 93, mm-hmm. which was the blue tape. Like, and like, wasn't that a golden time for hip hop in the Bay? Yeah, like just for hip hop. It, it wasn't called the Blue Tape. It was called Homeless Derelicts, but it later on became. It was in a blue cassette, right. with a drawing on it, and and it was and known it wasn't as a, a tape blue that tape. was sold. It was a tape that was actually shot to the industry. Interesting, and, yeah, into like magazines and stuff like that. So anybody who actually ended up with the tape didn't really buy it. It was never for sale. Interesting. So if you have it, you was probably somehow you were a connected G. to the industry or somebody from the industry decided mm-hmm. to sell it. But it was a demo tape. And that tape later on was released through Stone's Throw, probably like in 97. Now, how did you meet Peanut probably, Butter Wolf? Later than that. Well, see, Peanut Butter Wolf, I knew him from, uh, from Charisma. 
Now, Charisma Rest in Peace was murdered way back at the beginning of what looked like to be what was like the launch of like one of the best early, for lack of a better term, boom bap rappers that, I, I mean, like the the death of Charisma did and still hurt, hurt the Bay. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And so you met Peanut Butter Wolf through Charisma. Because we were, um, me and Charisma grew up in the same neighborhood, basically, Mopitas. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, And Encore was from that area too, he right? He was from that area too, from Mopitas. And like, it's a very small city. So like, one high school, one junior high, everybody right. goes to the same high school, same junior high. You know what I mean? Right. So a few different, you know, everybody knew each other. So we all knew about each other and knew each other from like young age. But, um, and so how did he hook up with Wolf? Did they, did they know each other? Uh, well, no, through charisma and the music. Right. I linked up with Peanut Butter Wolf. Oh, okay. You okay. I mean, then me and Grand, Homeless Derelicts, got signed to Strong Arm Management. Okay. And Charisma and Peanut Butter Wolf were also signed to Strong Arm Management. So who ran that? That was Matt Brown. He ran that. Matt Brown. Management. And we were basically yeah. you know, on the same management. Interesting. Under same management. Right. So then, you know, when Charisma got killed, obviously that And really, what year was that? That was 94? 93. Yeah, that might was that 93? Yeah, that might have been 93. And that was an unsolved murder to this day, y'all. Like, Oh, no, no. The dude went to jail. What? Yeah, they caught the dude who did that. He went to jail. You lying for a while. It took a minute. No, it wasn't too far after. Whoa, I do not remember that. Yeah. My brain was still stuck on the trauma of just that he got shot. And at that time, because I remember it was cold because I remember reading about it in the newspaper. Mm -hmm. And that was worse than hearing about it from the homies, right? Because it's in black and white. And you know what I mean? Yeah. That was horrible blood. That was definitely a... I still remember when he performed at a bomb records... Mm-hmm. Like, remember, like Dave Paul used to do these bomb oh, sure. records. We were on the bomb compilation. Yeah. Right, right. Now that might have came out before um, Critical Meltdown. Oh, it, you're, you're it probably did. right. Absolutely. It did come up before a uh, Critical Meltdown. So that might have been our first, my first release as Homeless Derelicts. Okay, because I remember Charisma used to in the middle of his set he would do an apple juice drink break remember that he would sit down and drink a martinelli's apple juice in the middle of his set on stage and peanut butter wolf would just like play beats or something it was crazy dope and he would just repeat apple juice break it was crazy yeah no they had some crazy shit (laughs) (laughs) so what are your first memories of working with peanut butter and just like things from that time I mean, shit, the first memory of me working with Peanut Butter was going to his house. He lived like, um, basically, my mom lived in Melpitas. He lived on the, he lived in San Jose, but it was like, probably like 20 blocks. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? No, I remember um, where I used to live. Going towards his house from where my mom mm-hmm. lived. Mm-hmm. She was like, she was like 20 blocks away. So I went over there one time back in the day. That was like my first time going through there. And we was like... Figuring out the filter. Because right. he had an EPS too. Oh, so y'all was really so we were vibing. Trading like, did you know you could do this? Exactly. <laughs> I remember going over there and we was like, yo, I was like, yo, you can do this filter thing like this. And we was fucking with the envelopes and just trading yeah. off information. You know what I mean? Crazy. And, uh, you know, I really feel a lot of people in the Bay, in the South Bay, got an EPS at that time because 
a lot of people were coming in contact. I know peanut butter was showing. Had to be because of y'all two, bro. Like y'all two were responsible for that, bro. You know what I mean? Fanatic also Stones Throw alumni day one. Yeah, man. Beat Breaker. He gonna be on the. He gonna be on the Chronicle soon, boy. Yeah, man. So crazy. So let's talk about. The oh yeah, I gotta remember. I gotta mention this dude, what? Jesse Persevere. Persevere, my man is Persevere. He was also in the mix. Shout out to Persevere, Dave man. Dub. You know what I mean. Fanatic. What was the studio we used to record at over there in San Jose? That was in the alleyway. Oh, I the remember when like? But this is. But he was on the first tape. He was on the very first Homeless Derelicts tape. I was wondering. Yeah, Persevere was yeah. on the first Homeless Derelicts tape, and Encore. Yep. And I even rapped on the first joint. Did you really? Yeah, I rapped on the first joint too. Damn. Like he was a lot of, you know, it's crazy because that whole little movement of people were really friends. We right. really knew each other. You know, some of our parents knew each other. Like we and we're really doing were it. folks. Like it was community really hip hop. Yeah. Community hip hop. But it was and we were like really like interacting, chilling, doing right. real shit. And like, you know, and that was the beauty of that particular time, man. I want to talk to you really quick about that Encore record. I want to talk to you about it because um, I knew your name before the record, but I I vividly remember meeting you because I'm on the record. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I did the title track for the record. Yep. Um, where did we record that? I remember um, at my studio. Yeah, you yeah. Know what I mean? Which is once and where again, was that at? That was, was in San Francisco, right? Uh, that was the one in San Francisco. Yeah, I remember. You know I, mean? I remember it was we at night. A, I remember. Yeah. yeah. It's funny because first of all, that whole record, I recorded and engineered it. Unbelievable. And you know. And what is the name of that encore record? So oh, people can go look it up. Self preservation. Encore. Self preservation. Encore. That was a great. Probably won't find it. Yeah. Right now. Is any of it on even YouTube? It's not really. Well, some of it's on YouTube. Yeah. You can find it on YouTube. But I'm going to upload it yeah. soon here. So people if you can if you hear the title track, it. that's me, bro. Yeah, no, no, no. That shit. <laughs> yo, that's a classic record. That that record for anybody who talks about quote unquote real hip hop, self-preservation, bro. Straight mm. up from the Bay, West Coast, West Coast period, yeah. Bay specific, bro. Come on. You know, Encore is how I met Dilated Peoples, bro. Mm-hmm. And true story, I was speaking the day of the L.A. riots. We were... It's so crazy because he told me about Raqqa, but I didn't realize when, when the L.A. riots happened, Zulu Nation had a meeting at this dude Hex's place in, mm-hmm. in Melrose. Mm-hmm. And Evidence and Raqqa came to the Zulu meeting and were there and saw me speak. But they were not yet dilated. Mm-hmm. They were graph writers who were moving their way towards them seeing. Right, right. Isn't that right. Crazy, crazy, bro? How it yeah. all. And I started doing jujitsu. And then he was like, yo, I know this other dude from Dilated Peoples who does jujitsu, Raka. And that's how me and Raka connected. Right, okay. Crazy. Crazy. But self preservation, bro, out of control. That record is really good. Talk to me about what mu- what what technology did you use for that record? And and can you talk to me a little bit about... Because to me, that album, no joke, parallel to what Gangstar was putting out at the time, parallel to 
I'm trying to think of other producers of that time, or even like Black Moon, or you, you know what I'm saying. Um, it was it was different than High Row, yeah, because it, it you know High Row was deliberately melodic, right? You, you know what I'm saying. And you you guys had more of a dirt style thud. You know yeah, what I we mean? Had the thud and the jazzy thud thing. Yeah, you had a jazzy thud for yeah, sure. Yeah. So talk to me about like what machines were you using and what what was your approach creatively? Well, that's crazy because see that record, prior to that record, I've been using EPS. That record I got a um MPC two thousand. Mm. And uh that was the you know, had that drum grind, bro. Yeah, you know I mean that was drum machine mode where like other records with the keyboard was a little different approach mm-hmm. with how I approached the drums, but that one was like super punch, punch, punch in your face. Right. And, that was you know, a- I was juice. I had a new machine and yeah. you know what I mean? And I recorded that on ADATS and you know, I did that shit at the crib. Like we didn't, we, we did it at a home, at our, my home studio at the house. Unbelievable. You know, before, I wouldn't say before because I had been to home studios before, right. but you know, I'd also been to expensive studios. Right. And, you know, to me, I got a good sound out of that shit to do it out the house. Crazy, bro. That was kind of part of the deal. Like, Dan laced me with, you know, some chips or whatever, but... Dan the automator. He's like, yo, I'm going to give you these ADATs. Right. So you could record the joint. And then from there, I was a studio rat. Mm -hmm. Like, I had to get the fucking mixer now. I had to get Mm -hmm. this, you know what I mean? So the hustle was just crazy. Put the whole studio together and recorded and mixed that whole joint. In fact, I've really never done any records that I didn't mix and record in my own studio. That's crazy. You know, the what I sound mean? was so beautiful, bro. The clarity. Yeah, I, could, I mean, I listened to it. Me and Fanatic sat up one day listening to it. I couldn't believe it. So, when you, so did self preservation? Because my history, self preservation came before Waterworld. Because that was the song that I think broke Encore out in terms of him as an MC and pointed people well, in the direction of self-preservation, but I don't remember the Encore's order. Encore's first shit that we did was with Stone's Throw. It was defined by the dollar. Right. And then after that, we did Ice Age single. Ice Age was murderous. <clears throat> and then a filthy remix by Dilated Peoples or some, something like that. Yep. I think, I think Ice Age was the thing when people started talking about Nas, when people started about... That's yeah. what I seem to remember in mm-hmm. my brain. And then, uh, then came Waterworld that was on Handsome Boy Modeling School. Listen, and if then, you haven't heard Waterworld by Handsome Boy Modeling School, which was, was that was uh, Dan and and uh, Prince Paul. And Prince Paul, De La Soul fame, et cetera, et cetera. Go pull up Waterworld, get your mind blown real quick. And then tell me that the Bay don't serve people. Then tell me... That that the West Coast don't don't have amazing, amazing lyrics and, and and dope beats, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a lot to learn. Yeah, but the crazy thing, somewhere in between this story, man, and all of this time. Yep. I made it to LA and I did a fucking song with Coolio. How did and you I meet did, Coolio? How did you meet brother, Coolio? His brother, uh, my one of my good friends, sister's best friend mm-hmm. was Coolio's brother's girlfriend. What? And like I told you, it was like a big deal. Like, you know, when you come to the Bay, people would be like, yo, you're at least in the South Bay. Yeah. Like, yo, you got to go see this dude, man. He makes beats. This shit is right. tight. So, you know what I mean? He heard the vibe. He heard through the grapevine from Homegirl. That she was the dude. And the crib and was like, yo, let me play me some something. 
I just played the beat. What was it like when you met Coolio? Was that crazy? Because this I is WC. No was this WC in the Mad Circle still? Exactly. They were still pop. They had still popped, and I knew right. about that. And I fucked with that heavy. Yeah, with WC in the Mad yeah. Circle. You know what I mean? And um, but you know, it was just like fucking with some real LA dudes. Like that's crazy. They, there was no money there. Right. It was like, you know, we was grinding. You're just trying to be down and, you know and I mean? do something for the culture. What was the name of that track? Uh, I Remember. I Remember. And I remember they were like, who you want to put on this? You can put anybody you want to put on this. And I was like, uh, J-Roll? From now? I didn't even say J-Roll. I was like the Alcoholics. Right. And then they just reached out and they ended up getting J-Roll. Wow. They actually went to WC first, but he didn't like the track. Wow. Yeah, so I keep it 100. I had to eat that that day. I was like, ah. <laughs> Wait for Dub C to oh, no, oh, forget they it. They ran a joint over like that was like sitting in the car. Right, they ran across the street like in South Central somewhere to his house. Right, you know what I mean. They came back, oh, he wasn't fucking with the track, dog. Wow. And then they got there. It is still though. That's crazy. Yeah, I was tripping. I was like, whatever. Yeah, but you know what I mean. Sometimes like, just you know, to get rejected man, by somebody great is dope. That's part of it. Right? That's Tommy Boy. Yeah, Tommy Boy. Tommy Boy. Yep. I once submitted a demo to Ruthless. Wow. And Jerry told me no. And people were fucking with my shit, blood. Like it was kinda I was kinda hot. So I thought they were gonna fuck with me. But you know why? You know why my stuff was trash, bro? Because the DOC submitted his stuff at the same time. The oh. DOC was way better oh, than me. Right, right. He was way better than me, but right, right. like I was not whack. I was not whack, was but like DLC? I was not the DOC, blood. When I heard it's the diggy, I was like, oh, I understand. I I can't take this personally at all. This dude's a beast. Yeah. No, you know what I'm saying? Definitely. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. Hilarious. Craziness, man. I mean, that's a hell of a journey. Now, did you ever used to go to the Gavin Convention events and stuff yeah, like that? Because those were. But, you know, I really didn't. Like, I was blessed enough to have my own outlets all the time. Yeah. yeah. My avenues that I never really. Had to like. I was addicted to Gavin. I wish I would have did it. It was the shows, bro. I'll just be honest with you, bro. Like, if you were just in the hotel lobby at the Gavin, bro, I'm talking about. I'm talking about in the same five minutes. Five. I said five. Right. I'm talking about seeing the following people: Easy E, Eric B, Rakim, KRS One, the Brat, Jermaine Dupri. In five minutes, bro. Definitely. I no, I've got, been to Gavin's. I've been to Gavin's. Uh, I mean, like, that was a crazy time. It's hard to even... And yeah. Stevie B, bro. Stevie B. Oh, wow. You going back. They used to have to play his joints at the parties. If you know what freestyle music is, not even, not even like battle freestyle. If you know what freestyle high music energy. is, high energy, all right? You look up Stevie B. Um, I don't know what song should we suggest for if if you don't know Stevie B like wow. I mean you know the music that they listen to now is almost very close to um, yeah Chris Brown is very close to Stevie B man Stevie B was Y'all hard give you a good one Chris Brown no genuine Chris Brown Chris Brown genuine mm. <laughs> next time you listen to Chris Brown or genuine listen you'll be like. Yeah, but from the same area too, if I'm not mistaken. What? Virginia or some shit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy. I'm trying to tell y'all. I'm trying to tell y'all. This is game, this is man. We're talking about Pete Rock and Dilla. Yeah. Pete Rock, then Dilla. Mm. So if you want to know who's the creator of Lo-Fi, it's actually would be Pete Rock. Hot diggity damn. 
You're right. When you're playing out bass lines. You're right. You know, when the little and he was doing a lot of those instrumental beat records early too. Well, I'm Remember just saying the, the style, like the I&I record, I and all of that. Why was I listening to I&I and I like yesterday, bro? I and I! <laughs> but what I'll be saying about technology, so if you right. bring up the technology, the I and I is like 95, you bring it up, that right. bass line is not going to be from that same keyboard. It's going to be from the more right. modern keyboard. I'm telling you, I mean, you know, just go tell the people, go go peep that. So is it fair to say that you really never messed with the SP-12? No, I did the song Fuck You on the SP-12. Yeah? Yeah. Did you like it? Because I remember going to Dell's house and he loved the SP-12. He would be in his room I like on 3838 Twin Oaks Way up in the town. And I you, you couldn't like, pull him away from his SP-12. I had an SP-12, which only had five seconds. Mm. Not the 12, 1200. Right. The How much did the 1200 have? Because I never made beats. 10 seconds. Oh, that was the difference? 10 seconds between two zeros? Wow. So I didn't really like the fact, I mean, I liked the drum sounds and shit. And at the time, I wish I would have got my MIDI bars up, but I didn't really know how to MIDI everything that great. So I ended up getting rid of the SB-12 and just sticking with the EPS and just keeping it in that box. You know what I mean? But, That's crazy. Yeah. So the the question is, after that, you know, it seemed like there was the first Encore record, Self-Preservation. So Encore does the layover, and then you kept going. Where did you go after the layover? Well, you know, I always rock with Planet Asia from the 90s. I did stuff with him, his first record. So, you know, I had plenty of places to rock with. Can I just say, blood, Planet Asia, once again, like we're talking about Real MCs from the West who crush mics, bro. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, Shout out to Fanatic. Yeah, to Fanatic right here. He produced the first Planet Asia joint. Exec Lounge. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I had the Executive Lounge record. That's right. Executive Lounge. You know what Lounge. I mean? We'll see the, you know, the label. Talk about Executive Lounge and then and then let's talk about. Well, see, self-preservation happened. Then our label went out of business. Okay. Because of the um, the towers. That's right. Fell. Nobody talks about how the how that wiped out so many people's shit at that time. How many labels fell with the Twin Towers? Exactly. How it affected hip hop? That's a big deal. That's never. I don't think I've ever really heard anybody talk about that right. outside of industry heads in in quiet rooms. Right. Explain though. So basically, when the towers fell, and you were on what label? On seventy five Arc, Danny Automator. Wow, that's right, seventy five Arc, yeah. blood. And basically, when them towers fell, they pulled all the investments out of the like dot coms at that right, time. and all that money just got yanked up out of there. You know, probably went into everything dried up. Yeah, and it was over. And not to help, not to help the fact that um, the Coop had put a record out with where the they twin had the tower. twin towers on the front that was i remember on our label so somehow me and, that me and boots kind of like we we had some pushback yeah, they didn't know the towers are going to fall i know it was they weird they had no idea it that was, was just weird. a bad happenstance but you know shout out to pam the functress oh yeah yeah no doubt shout out rp to the sis for real forever you know so that that didn't help yeah. and just that whole thing just stopped the label in its tracks and um yeah that was over so then we went to hyro and that's where we did the layover. Yeah. Well, I did a portion of it, and Jake right. One did Jake One, portion yeah, yeah. Shout out to Jake One, Seattle. Shout out to Jake One. You know what I mean? But, you know, after that, 
I just kind of kept rocking with people. I already had a, you know, all my peers. Everybody was rocking with <laughs> Architect, bro. Come you know on now. Man? So I just me and me and um, Opio went on to do two albums together, right? Under Opio. You know, the first time I went to Dell's house, Opio was eating cereal in Dell's kitchen. Wow. And he was just looking at me with this big head of dreads, and I'm looking at him with a shaved head, and we're just like. Because Dell was upstairs and we were just hella quiet because he was looking at me like, who is this dude? And I was looking at Opio like, who is this dude? It was hella funny. <laughs> I love Opio, man. No, nah, that's my brother right there. He be at the farsideTV.com studios all the time. He's always over there. That's what's yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I just started rocking with the peers, mm-hmm. my other peers. You know, me and Graham went on to do, since you said the SP1200, yeah. me and Graham wanted to do a whole record. Right. Why I use only the SP twelve hundred. Wow. It's called HD's verse to SP twelve hundred and just all SP twelve hundred beats. Wow. Yeah. That's it Bangers. was real grimy. Yeah. No drums, man. That was like the first time you might even <laughs> Yeah, you know I mean, no drums on that. Just crazy, crazy loops. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, not a lot. Not a lot. You know what I'm saying? Man. You know what I mean? But um Did you do medallions at the same time? Oh, yep. And then I did the King Medallions record with Planet Asia. Man, Planet Asia bars, bro. Yep. We got a whole... And that, that actually, we did that in 2006. Yeah. But it's being released now. Crazy. You know, and it's crazy, right? How did that happen? Talk to me. Um, Well, you know, when I dropped that shit with Noah the Flood, which is a new artist or whatever. Right. It's been around a while, but that was a right. whole Kanye West controversy where they thought... Talk to me be. about Kanye. Wait, wait, wait. Hold up. We have... You know, like... And here's the thing. You got to understand that I'm talking to Architect. I'm trying to talk to Architect like a journalist, but I'm also remembering him as a homie. And so there's there's a lot of stuff, like, that gets past me. But there's a controversy around a Nas beat, and there's controversy around Kanye West. Can you give me any clarity on both of those? Let, 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 let me know what happened, man. I saw stories on, was it Hip Hop DX? Yeah, it was on the Complex, different places. Well, complex, you know, they, they me, basically man. like, yo, the cover of a record I did with this brother, Noah the Flood, with my mans, uh, it's called Trill Life Mathematics. We had a cover of these children on the picture mm-hmm. from Dallas. He happens to, you know, have a connection there. Okay. And the picture meant something to him. Right. And it's the same picture. We released our record first. And then what year? Nas, um, the same year as Nas and Kanye, but right. like three months before. Right. And then Nas and Kanye West came out and they ended up with the same cover. What? Which would have been cool, but then somehow the lead song on there had the same beat. Had the same beat as a remix that I did for Nas. So my beat had Nas' voice on it, too. Whoa. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, which was done a year before that. So with the cover and the beat, everybody was kind of like, yo. What's, man, going, what's on? going on? here? It's too many correlations. You know what I mean? So, Did you ever speak to anybody about that from their camps? No. Not at all. How do you feel about it? Keeping it 100, how do you feel about it? You know, I feel like they just got caught up in my wave because I'm coming to really get this shit popping again. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I took a little bit of time off, and they just got caught in my way, man. You know, for whatever reasons. Right. In my world. It wasn't about them stealing anything from me, even though they could have. I, I have no proof, and I would never go around accusing another brother about right. stealing if I didn't have any real proof. I mean, I see what's there. I would like to see... Fin- I, I, would, I, 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 would, I would love to see Kanye and Nas, like... Properly work with you, bro. That would be better. I, I would, I would like to see them <laughs> right. do that because obviously somebody in their camp or them knows that you raw. 
<laughs> so, and, and I know Nas be in LA all the time. He passed through the Bay a lot. He's coming out here in like two months. Yeah, I've seen that. So, you know, you never know what can happen. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, like I said, I don't want to just be like, man, these fools. Particular yeah. dudes are sitting around somewhere figuring out yeah. how to do that. You know, but it happened. And, and as far as I'm concerned, at least it put me on the radar. And it's just, how? I mean, it, you know what? Like, it's funny because, like, you know how when people talk about, like, so-and-so or somebody is your favorite rapper's rapper? I feel like you're a lot of people's favorite producer's producer. True. You know what I mean? True. I really feel like that. Like, if you talk to any real dude who makes beats, I don't care if they're from the East Coast. I don't care if they're from the West. I don't care if they're from the Bay. I don't care if they're from L.A. Your name is always going to pop up, dude. It's crazy. Yeah, man. So let me ask you this. Going back to this thing that we talked about earlier with the lo-fi thing. So, like, it's hard for me to conceive that this movement from, from Pete Rock to Dylan, Madlib, would even happen without you, though. Like it feels like there's a like there's like a well I would say this like there there's a break stone, in the chain records I mean I was my hands was all in the beginning of that I mean I don't care if the people get mad about it whatever I did all the first records on there right you know what I mean that's encore yeah Man, and persevere and somebody else did a record peanut butter did a joint on there somebody else did a record on there too right I did and for, you did a record on there fanatic did so a the record first four fanatic records, is there a record yeah yeah right so their first four records on the first instrumental album. Yeah, so the first records, for some reason, Peanut Butter wasn't putting those first records out. He hey, wasn't you know producing them. I'm gonna, so we're gonna get fanatic on it. On it, we're gonna get fanatic on on the next one. Like, you know what I'm saying? I'm talking about tempo. Yeah, yeah. I would have to say, I would have to say that if you were gonna say anything about tempo wise, like one thing about everything that you know the South Bay cast was doing, right? Our tempos were not, and still aren't. The, anybody else's tempos you know what I'm saying talk like, to me about those tempos slow like when New York was doing fast we were doing it a little slower than you know what I mean so it was like always, the boom bap before the boom bap well it was like the fact that it was our tempo our pace so mm -hmm. you know a, a DJ who's playing certain things might not just be able to drop our shit in the mix the same way because it's not gonna fit it's not that tempo it's not that, you know, 90 to 100 or 98 to 100 right. type tempos. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't club it shit. Wasn't club shit. It wasn't because it was like, more about the bars. It was not club. It was just slow. Not really slow, but just like, boom, jazzy. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like vibe to this. Yeah. And really warm, like sitting in a car and hot box with fucking an eighth of weed with the homies and shit. And that's smoke hella all that real. Shit. You know what I mean? That is a definition right there, boy. That's really what the vibe was. So it was real slow in comparison to probably what might have been played on like New York radio or even a wake up show sometimes. Even right. though they played some more shit there, but still. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you have on deck right now, man? I mean, you're never stopping. I know you must got something. So well, you got this Planet Asia thing getting ready to drop. Well, but that was from 2006. That's right. dropping. But as, in recent times, right. I've been um, working with Noah the Flood. Right. Um, which is amazing MC, man. Amazing MC. 
Um, you know, I just did a record with God, the God Fahim. Yeah. Another amazing MC. He raw. You know what I'm saying? And uh, got Mock Hami on a couple tracks on that. Okay. And, you know, remember those names, man. Mock Hami, the God Fahim. You know, I've, you know, really when my, uh, I took a little break for a few years, but yeah. when I heard some of these dudes, man, they really sparked my energy. And I got to really give it to them. You know, Westside Gun, a couple of these Man, new that whole Griselda set, man, like, bro, like, it's all, But it's man. so much more than Griselda. And Ka. Yeah. Rock, Rock Marcy. You know what I mean? Like I said, Noah the Flood. Uh, it's shit. crazy. All Hell YT, uh, Casablanca, um, Birdland, it's, Cochise. It's funny how... Al Davino. I mean, I got to give some of these guys, I don't even know these guys like that. Right. But they dope. It's funny, you know? though, how, like, I remember when I first heard the Ka record. The first stuff I heard from Ka was probably, like, 2014. And I was like, this dude's ridiculous. And that's when I started peeping Rock Marcy. Mm. And I was like, yo. And then you start hearing the Griselda vibe pop up. And it's funny because it's almost as if everything that has been, in my opinion, held back by the industry mm -hmm. for so many years with no real reason, right? Mm -hmm. No real reason. Right. <laughs> right. Just held back because they got on, just wanted to keep selling music to teenagers. Just all of a sudden, there's this wave of not just bars, but beats from people that never yeah. left. Yeah. That never left. Exactly. I love it. Exactly. I love it. You know? Exactly. So, you know, all those new records, like I said, I mean, y'all got to peep this Dollars and Cents record with the God Fahim. The record is amazing. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he has 120 tapes out. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Bars. A brother got bars. I, I give him his props. He got right. bars, man. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, you got to peep that. Um, got to peep the K-Burns. Okay. My man K Burns. All right. Um, he's ridiculous. I'm going to look for out him. Out of Brooklyn. I'm going to look for him. Um, Grim Moses. BK. My man Grim Moses. We just dropped some. You know, I'm dropping albums with all kinds of different artists that I see coming up doing their thing. Anybody I can contact and they ready to work, I shoot them beats and we just put projects out. This guy Blood Blinkson. You know what I mean? But if you look them up, they got their followings and they raw. Yeah. Yeah, I'm still a fan of this. You know what, man? I think that that's like the best part of it. Like for me, even doing this podcast is I always learn from different people who's dope. You know, like Fanatic. We were hanging out over the summer. He introduced me. I didn't know. I mean, I knew that Griselda existed, but he pulled me in deep. Right to see. How you know what I'm saying? He pulled me in deep, was. straight up. Fanatic yeah. did that. You know yeah. what I mean? And um, I, I feel like my whole summer... Um, even though Sean Price wasn't new to me, we were addicted to Sean Price all summer. And and we spent the whole summer listening to Sean Price, uh, Griselda, and then like a random dog pound or G-Funk <laughs> track randomly. Benny the yeah, Benny the Butcher. Yeah. So I mean, they're killing it, man. I got to shout out Derringer. That's the homie Derringer. Because I wasn't listening to Conway until you, bro. Yeah. I got, At they, all. They really murder. And you gotta I knew it. Conway was hot, though. I just I just didn't listen to him. You got to give it, give it to him. They really got balls. Yeah. 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 But like so, I said, there's a whole wave of that around it and, you know, coming from so many angles right now that I would have to say the real shit's back, man. It's almost like... I'm comfortable. I know it's crazy. It's like the timing lined up with you. <laughs> you know what, you know what I'm saying? Like, like the I timing lined up with you. Minute, you know what I mean? Crazy. So if people are trying to get a hold of you, how do they do it? Um, Architect HHP. At Instagram or Twitter. Okay. That's Architect HHP. 
That's the best way. Yo, you need to follow my brother right here. You need to go. First, you need to go on YouTube and, and the interwebs and really just peep the uh, the pedigree, the lineage. Peep the body of work here, man. Yeah. It's really dope, man. And it's crazy. Like, you know it's crazy? Like, I hadn't seen you in hella years. Then Wu-Tang comes to town. Right. And I'm chilling backstage with RZA and Jizza. And you're right there. <laughs> I was like, what is going on in my life? You know what I'm saying? I've been knowing dudes forever. Yeah, man. You know? That was just nuts, man. Nah, my dude. You know, it's good to be doing this, man. Yeah. You know, a lot of people be like, what you going to fall back on? And the fall back on your music is just the most amazing right? feeling. You yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like I couldn't imagine doing anything else right now. So I could really do is say thank you. Yeah, man. Listen, man, thank you for coming on Bishop Chronicles. I'm definitely going to have you back at some point because, you know, earlier we were talking about this whole thing about Premiere and, and Wow Pitch and, and the evolution of his production. And I don't, I don't want to give none of that away. We'll save that for another show. Um, but, man, thank you for coming on Bishop Chronicles. Yes, sir. Thank you. And, uh, and, and thank you for what you've given to the West Coast for so long. Like, I, I genuinely appreciate you. Man, thank um, you, bro. You know, for 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 your Likewise. body of work, for the artists that you've inspired, for the producers that 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 salute you. You know, I appreciate what you've done for the West, man. Thank you. Man, thank you, brother. All right, peace, All right, peace, peace. Teacher, what star is that? Try with me. <laughs> it's my own secret technique. <laughs>